0: Welcome to the Church of Now podcast, where we believe kids and students and young adults can make a difference now in the moment. We don't just ask them to be the future of the church, but we believe that they are the church of now. We're gonna be talking with ministry leaders about what it looks like to inspire and tell young adults and kids and students what it looks like to make a difference now in the church. Thanks for joining us and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Uh, super excited. We have Anne Wilson on the podcast today. And so, Anne, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah. Hi, Matt. It's so good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I'll just jump right in. Yeah. I serve as the lead youth minister at Traders Point Christian Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. We're a multi-site church in the central Indiana area. I've been married to my husband, Kyle, for about 12 years. And he is a high school teacher here in the area too. So between us, we spend a lot of our time thinking about teenagers. Um, We have two kids, eight and four, uh, Keegan and Eliza. And we've lived here in Indy since we both graduated from college. So about, well, 12 years. Um, I also serve Uh, with Christ in Youth as a board member there and get to serve a little bit just with their summer programs so yeah that's a little bit about us
0: that's awesome and so you said you're the lead you know youth minister at Traders Point Mm -hmm. so what is what does that actually look like for you what is I know we talked with Lauren Mm -hmm. a little bit last week about Traders Point yeah you know what do you all have campuses you know what does all that look like and Mm -hmm. what does youth ministry look for you right now look like for you right now
1: yeah, so I serve as the lead, which basically means I serve all of the youth ministers that serve at campuses. So um, I'm, a, I mean, in multi-site language, I guess, I'm a central lead. So I serve on the central team. Um, we have two other people on our central team, one who oversees operations, someone who oversees all digital content, and then we have a leadership resident too. And so I lead the central team, and then I also lead our campus um, youth staff. And so I, you know, not just lead meetings, but also coaching, supporting, figuring out how we can best serve them, any new initiatives or anything new that we would bring into the ministry or even just really making sure that we're staying aligned and accountable um, and on mission. So that's kind of what my day-to-day looks like as far as like the youth ministry lead. I also serve um, in a leadership role at Trader's Point. So um, speaking into decisions where I can and being helpful where I can. Um, But then youth ministry, I would say, I mean, as you know, it's looked different almost every month for like 18 months. But in some ways, there are things that have stayed consistent. Um, For us at Traders Point Youth, we um, really value consistency, connection, and we would say cheerleading, but really that means encouragement, not like high school cheerleading or something um but just recognizing that most environments that students are in are going to be negative and or um full of yeah as we know students teenagers lives are hard right now and i mean i think they always have been but it's just pretty acute with technology and social media um so in those ways those things have all stayed the same um we have tried our best to be as consistent as possible whether online or in person um i don't know if lauren I don't know remember if she touched on this or not, but small groups are a big part of our ministry strategy. and so we've tried to stay consistent with those and then we've just fought for connection wherever we can find it, whether it's online or in person. So um, those things have all stayed the same, even though the methods maybe have changed over the last 18 months, but now we're in a place of like, oh yeah, those things have been the same the last 18 months and that feels good to look back on and know that
0: even though things have looked different, yeah, that stuff hasn't changed. so. Yeah, that's, that's a little awesome. bit of, yeah. We were all forced into different methods, right? It goes back to that old thing, you know, methods, methods may change. Methods stays the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so important. Um, so, so you've been working in youth ministry for a little bit, and you obviously lead a team and do all this. And so you're around students a lot. You said your husband's around students a lot. And mm-hmm. so you probably have a, a decent understanding of, of young people and young students. And so what would you say that students need to hear right now in our world?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it's really interesting because in some ways, um, so my husband's a history teacher, which means that I am usually flooded with his like academic thoughts about this (laughs) current, this current moment. Um, And because he has so much context um, in his brain Mm -hmm. of, different decades and generations. One thing that he talks a lot about is like the danger. So I'm gonna have two parts to this answer, I'm sorry. But the first is like, he talks a lot about the danger of presentism and that is the idea of belief that like now is different than any other time in history. Um, And that's challenged me a lot because I think the last 18 months for me personally have felt different than any other time in history. And I say all that with that is true. And then also what's true is there are some things that are unique to this time in history. So what's I think been constant is that the adolescent age, at least for the last 15 years, 50 really um, has been a time of development for people, right? Where they're asking like, who am I? Where do I fit? What difference can I make? Those questions, I think have remained the same. I think Um, the way that those questions are lived out or even asked differently has changed in the last five to 10 years, I would say. Um, Our team right now, and I know that Lauren referenced this last week, but we've been reading a book um, that just came out, The Three Questions That Change Every Teenager by Kara Powell and the Fuller Youth Institute. And she talks about how teenagers really are asking and they surveyed like rural, urban, suburban, like wide range of teenagers and the primary questions that they're asking are really around like hey our generation is diverse how do we navigate all this racial pain in our country? how do I navigate the conversation around gender identity and sexuality? How can I stay safe at school like why is it being why is it more being done? by adults to change things? How is God actually relevant to me? How do I manage anxiety and stress? And so I think for us, what we've tried to really lean into is knowing that students right now want to be a part of an active conversation. They don't want to just be talked to. Um, And so what are the ways that we can really engage students in our ministry environment every time they come, not just have them come and sit and listen, but actually hear the questions they're asking, um, set up an environment where they can have conversations that push them toward better answers um, that Jesus offers, um, and really meeting them in this moment of stress. While acknowledging this isn't so different than any other time in history, there are also parts about it that are unique, and so I think not like overdoing it in a way of like Because I don't I don't think any teenager wants to hear like, oh my gosh, your time is so different and you guys are so weird, you know. (laughs) Like, um like I think some of them are like, yeah, we get it, like it's stressful. Like I hear a little bit of almost and their voices like, yep, we know, like that's been weird, you know, but I think they do want to be taken really seriously. And so that's a roundabout way of saying I think students really right now more than ever need presence. Um real, actual, in the flesh presence of adults who love Jesus and who love them and who take them seriously more than they need a specific answer. Because I think the presence will lead them to who Jesus really is and will lead them to a conversation and many conversations that will lead them to better answers for the questions they're asking.
0: Yeah. I think it's so important for adults to, to be there and be willing to listen um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think that we miss that I think in, in our society in general we miss that uh, but it's so mm-hmm. important for students to fill up their known, right and so just being there being willing to listen is so important to them so mm-hmm. yeah and so your- the
1: oh I was just going to say I think the listening part is actually harder for us yeah <laughs> um, I think if we're in ministry at all it's usually because we think we have something to say to people about who God is and so yeah, the listening is for sure a learned skill. For me, at least it has been.
0: Yeah, I think it is for everybody. Give me your definition of the church of now.
1: Yeah, I love this question. And I am going to admit to you that I cheated and went and listened to a few other people's answers <laughs> because I was like, oh, I wonder what this means for them and for you guys. Um, but for me, I'm going to steal a few things Lauren said, but um I love that she said a global community and I would just add intergenerational community ah. that's changed by Jesus and building the kingdom of heaven on earth right now where we are. Um, I think for me, as my faith has grown and ministry has evolved over time, um, the things that just become really, really simple and clear to me are that, yeah, the church of now is a pe- a, pe- a group of people changed by the cross living for the kingdom. Yeah. Um, I think there's been seasons of ministry where one or the other has been more important or more focused on. Um, and now I see them side by side. And then that intergenerational piece for me has grown too. Of, I think when I was first starting out in ministry, I didn't truly value the importance of having all generations present. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah. So important for all of us to, to work together, right? Not just mm-hmm. the young people, mm-hmm. not just the old people, but all of us. So That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, So tell me about your experience growing up in the church. What was that like for you?
1: Yeah. um, So I let's see, probably up until about seventh or eighth grade, went to church sort of sporadically. Um, my parents got divorced when I was in fourth grade and that kind of changed a lot of just like our family rhythms and stuff. So while we were kind of used to maybe going on Christmas or on Easter, which back then, like, honestly, I thought that was a lot. Like I was like, go to church like four times a year. You know? um, it's a big commitment, but um And then when I was in middle school, got invited um, to a church from a like family friend, and it was a Christian church. Um, Up until then, I had never really been a part of anything other than like the liturgical settings I'd been a part of. And so it was a, yeah, Christian church, like more modern style of worship. And so not that one was right or wrong. It was just really, really different. And I'll be honest, like the first week or two, I was in between like really freaked out and really intrigued. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know that my seventh grade self would have articulated it that way, but um, but yeah, I just kept going and going. And I think what really kept me was there was an adult there who um, was a small group leader. And again, didn't know that that's what I was really a part of, but I was a part of a small group and she was just uh, really, really kind and, she cared about me, she remembered my name, she asked me questions about my life and my family. And um, yeah, so I just kept going, kept going, kept going. And eventually, um, yeah, gave my life to Jesus um, through the ministry of that church and got really involved there, got really involved in my student leadership team and all that stuff. Um, so in so many ways, honestly, the church was my like saving grace. As a teenager, it was a safe place for me. Um, It was probably the safest place in my life as an adolescent. So I say that to say that when I went to Bible college, I had no concept of church hurt, um, which I'm so thankful for, but that was just never a part of my story. And so when I had a lot of peers share about that, I honestly at first was like, what are you talking about? The church is incredible, you know? and so I think that that really shaped, though, my ministry because um, I saw what the church could be at such a young age. And while I didn't see necessarily people who looked like me leading at a high level, I did experience a lot of um, I've had a lot of female mentors in my life that poured into me through our church. And so um Yeah, that definitely shaped my experience. My youth pastor really encouraged me to go into ministry and really had one of those, like, I see this in you conversations with me at the age of 17 and, um, You know, directed me toward different Bible colleges and stuff. And because again, that wasn't really in our family history, like I had no clue what a Bible college even was. Like I was like, do people even like wear normal clothes there? Like what happens there? You know, (laughs) like do we study anything else? What do we do? Just like read the Bible a hundred times and you're done. Like, um, and so looking back, I can see just the different ways that uh yeah, God used the church to supplement a lot of missing pieces in my life and um also give me a picture of what the church could be at a young age so
0: yeah and so you would Mm -hmm. you would say that those experiences are what you know kind of directed you into ministry is that right
1: yeah oh for sure Mm -hmm.
0: that's awesome and and it's cool to see somebody you know pouring into you at that age saying hey i I see this in you I, i think this would be a great place for you and so when you went when you went to bible college was that was youth ministry kind of what you wanted to do
1: Um, I honestly didn't go with a really specific plan. I knew that I loved the church and that I loved Jesus and I wanted to know more about the Bible Um, and that I did feel a really specific call into ministry. I did um, several different internships throughout college and to be honest uh, when I went to college And where I went, there weren't, and I didn't know that this was a whole conversation at the time, but there weren't any women in the program, in the youth ministry program. And I was really discouraged from being a part of that just because it was like, Hey, you're probably never going to get a job if you go into that. And so at the time I was like, Oh, okay, well, I'll just, what, what can I do? (laughs) And, um, so yeah, so I did a general ministry like program with a like minor in Bible, And then just did a lot of internships and through those internships realized that youth ministry really was, um, for me, just such a passion area of just recognizing that that developmental stage can change so many things about a person's life. Um, Most people, you know, I can't even remember what the stat would be now in 2021, but um, take their faith seriously in adolescence and that changes the trajectory of their life. So to answer your question, yes, for sure, but I think it was a windy road to get to Doing youth ministry as a, like a profession, and even knowing that I could do it, or finding a place to use those gifts. So,
0: right, and so you brought up, you know, being a woman and going to Bible college, and not seeing, you know, women in the in the program and all that stuff. And I think, um, you know, knowing Lauren that we talked to last week, um, we when we were in college together, we saw women in these different programs and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, but it's still, there was still a lot of struggle there. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm curious on what your experience was, you know, a couple of years ago when you didn't see women in those programs, and, and just kind of everything that you went through. And so I'd like to hear about your experience there, and then maybe um, you know, give some encouragement to to, mm-hmm. to women that are looking to go into ministry um, and what that w- might look like for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, first, it's so kind of you to say a couple years ago. That's really <laughs> cute. Um. But um I actually I love, I don't know if you're familiar with Tish Harrison Warren, but she wrote this piece in Christianity Today, um, where she said, like, I never pursued something to be effective. I'm gonna get it wrong, but I never pursued ministry to be a voice for women. I just loved Jesus and I loved his people and I knew I wanted to serve them both. Yeah. And I think that really summarizes my own journey. I had no intention of going into ministry and being like a trailblazer, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I denied that existence for a long time, to be honest. Like I really did not want that title. I didn't want to blaze a trail. I wanted to go on like, where is the path that women have been on? Can I walk down that road? And finally, I think just realized if I'm going to pursue youth ministry, there's going to have to be a little bit of that. And the Lord will see me through and I don't need to defend myself. So um Yeah, out of, I will say that God was so good to me and that he placed a lot of male mentors in my life along the way that didn't see me as a woman in ministry, but just saw me as a person um, who loved teenagers and who had gifts that they wanted to help develop. And so um, not just my own youth pastor, but had several Um, men both bible college professors and youth ministers that I interned with really give me a chance and give me an opportunity even though there were some things that were um, uncomfortable scenarios to walk through of like they'd never had a woman on their team or um, you know me being in the room changed the dynamic they were used to being able to tell jokes that maybe they shouldn't have even been telling to begin with and now my presence reminded them like Hey, we're not teenagers, we're grown adults. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was maybe a little too personal, but uh, so I think I could summarize like the first few years were of me, honestly, just trying to navigate my way through the dark, but knowing like, I love Jesus, I love his people. And I am, one of my mentors told me, she just always said, you know, you do not need to defend yourself, like let God defend you. Like you do not need to walk into a space and if you are criticized or if someone questions your motives, um, you know what they are, you don't need to walk in and defend yourself. And so I've really tried to do that. Not always beautifully or well, but, um, yeah, so I right out of college was like an associate youth minister, um at a church here in Indy, which is what brought us to Indy and really had a great experience. Um, the My boss was incredible and he really poured a lot into me. I think ultimately at the end of the day, I realized that while that church was amazing and um, there's so many things I'm so thankful about for about that church, I think being a woman leader there was just a little bit too early. Um, I just don't think they were fully ready for that. And so because of that, I felt like I don't think this is productive or fruitful for either of us, you know? Um, and I wouldn't have voiced it like that at the time, but looking back now, I can see that. Um, yeah. For the sake of the ministry there. And for me personally, I needed to step away. And so um, took a season off. And around that time, my husband and I started going to Traders Point. Um, just as like normal, regular people, which was cool. And, and during that time had our son Keegan and, Then shortly after that, I joined the staff at Traders Point part-time in the communications team. And during, I was in communications at Traders for about five years and, you know, volunteered in different ways, like in youth ministry, um, but really allowed God to heal a lot of wounds that had built up over like my first eight years or so of ministry, including like Bible college. Um, Because I went in so naively, I don't think I had any idea of what was coming. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I just kind of knew if I don't let the Lord heal me right now, I am going to walk into the rest of my ministry life, like embittered. And so I went through a lot of therapy and um, really got some good friends around me to speak the truth over me of who I was and my calling. Um, And then just allowed myself, I think, to be in the shadows a little bit and experience what it's like to be a volunteer and to be behind the scenes, um, which I would never um, take back. It was such a beautiful season. And then, uh, three years ago or so, um, step back into like full-time vocational youth ministry. I'd been full-time at Traders for a few years at that point, but was serving in communications and yeah, then have been back in youth ministry out of retirement, so to speak since. <laughs> and it's been amazing. I think the thing that I wasn't prepared for was how much the conversation around gender changed in those five years. Um, It used to be me being the only woman in the room and now most rooms I'm in around youth ministers, especially it's like 30 to 40% women, which is just wild, like how much has changed like it's truly sometimes shocking, to be honest, I'm like, yeah, I have to adjust so but I'm really thankful because I can look back now and see that um, God healed me so that then I could pour into women to come after me but not from a jaded place but from like a whole healed place um and yeah now i think what when i can have the conversation around being a woman in ministry it's just from a really different lens and it's not it's not that i haven't been wounded like there are places that for sure i have but i'm not speaking from like a bloody place it's been healed up and bandaged you know right. so
0: right. that might have been
1: more than you bargained for but
0: yeah <laughs> no that was great thanks for thanks for telling me that sharing your story there. yeah um, I want to switch gears a minute. Um, so we know as youth ministers that one of the biggest things that we can do is help the family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the family is with this you know their students more than we are, and so sometimes sometimes parents or families can come to the youth ministers and say, "Hey, I want my kid to make a difference now. you know what can I mm-hmm. do um, And I think that's a great question, an important question for a parent to ask, but how can we, as ministers and youth ministers um, help? families encourage their students to make a difference now?
1: Hmm. So I think I would have answered this question differently before being a parent. And now that I am a parent, I see, yeah, I just see it not differently, but um, maybe, yeah, just older. Not that with age comes wisdom, as we know, but sometimes it does not. But I think one of the hardest things that I've observed from friends and parents in our church who parent teens is when you're a parent to little people, it's really acceptable to talk about the hard things about being a parent to little kids, right? Like if they throw a tantrum or if they poop their pants, or if like something happens with a teacher, it's very fun and almost like expected that you're all going to be kind of in that together as parents. What I observe though, is parents of teenagers can get really isolated really fast because confidentiality with teenagers is of the utmost importance to keep their trust and respect. And so with that, I think comes that parents often get isolated in their struggles with their teenagers and then don't really form community or know how to raise their hand when their kids are struggling. Um, And so I think I would just say first and foremost that I think it's really, really imperative in the role of a youth minister and in small group leaders to make sure that they are voicing out loud, like we are here for you. We know that being a parent to a teenager isn't easy and um, we know that there are struggles and we're here to help you. I think it can't be overstated how much you almost need to put yourself out there with parents to let them know that because I do think there's a hesitancy for parents to come forward and share something because of that confidentiality piece, if that makes sense. Um, And with that said, then I think um, parents need really tangible opportunities to help students um, find ways to make a difference and when possible to do it together as a family. And so um, for us, we're really leaning into this right now. We're not doing it perfectly, but we're really, really trying hard to think about, okay, as a youth ministry and even as a kids and youth ministry, like we're not just ministering to kids and youth. Like we have them at best 40 hours a year. I know most people know the stats around this, right? But like at best, we have them 40 hours a year. Like we should make sure that those 40 hours are incredible, but most of our time probably needs to shift toward thinking about the other Monday through Saturday. So um, I think for us, it's really about changing our ministry mindset to think about parents, not just fourth or fifth, but almost second (laughs) of Okay. So even like when we're on trips, you know, it's like, how are we communicating with parents? How are we letting them know what's happening? How can we give them clues of like what to ask their kids when they get off the bus and into the car so that it's not like, did you have fun? Yeah. Bye. You know, (laughs) Um, how can we show up in proactive ways of like, Hey, we know that during this time, your students are navigating conversations around technology, sexuality. Here are some resources. Um, We want you to know we're here to support you. So I think, really it's about changing your mindset of waiting for a parent to come to you in crisis to raising your hand and letting them know that you're a place that they can get resources. They're going to Google their problems anyways. They might as well know that you're a resource with like legitimate help. Um, And then finding tangible ways that you can offer families opportunities to serve together and um, yeah, to give their families a better story. I think Most parents would say that they're probably struggling with their teenagers being self-absorbed. That is the developmental stage that they're in. That's just the way that their brains are wired. And so I think any way that you can provide a family an opportunity to serve together that paints a different story for their family. So like, for example, um, this Christmas, we're able to partner with a community partner and open up the opportunity for families to serve at that center's Christmas store. Um, And instead of just saying like, oh, this is a youth opportunity and like, just do it with your small group. I really want to see us push opportunities for families to serve together first. Um, that doesn't mean they can't do it with their small group, but I think parents are really looking to make a difference with their families together. And they know that those things will get their teenagers out of themselves. Um, they just need some small, simple steps. So,
0: yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I love that. I love I love what you said about they're going to Google stuff anyways. They might as well come. To somebody that they could trust and has some information or whatever so that's i like that that's great
1: oh yeah i mean i think the, the reality is if you don't give them an answer they're gonna google it or youtube it or instagram search like i mean so i just i think we need to be on the front lines of saying hey we are in the real world we want to offer real help to you here's some resources that we would give to you about this this and this i think you just need to have that almost like in a note on your phone at all times you know yeah
0: that's awesome that's awesome. yeah Um, so, you know, there's people out there that have been told that they are not a part of the church, or they can't be a part Mm -hmm. of the church yet, or maybe they're part of the church of the past. And and so what would you say to a listener, um, who's been told that they're not a part of the church of now, or maybe feels like they're not?
1: Hmm. Well, I think it depends on one, I'd want to hear their story because obviously so much of who we are is shaped by our past experiences. Um, I think I'd tell you first, like, I believe you and your feelings are real and they matter. Yeah. I think I would also say, um, I love the way that Steve Carter has said this about his experience at Willow of, um, he, sa- he, he said, you know, the church didn't hurt me, five people did. Yeah. And I think I often hear people give overarching statements about the church when they're really talking about three people. And I know why people do that, obviously. Those people represent the church. Um, But I think it's really important to narrow down what voices have told you that and do they align with Jesus and who he is? And if not, then you can throw it away. Yeah. Um, And I wish that I would have told myself that at 25. I've had so many people at that point tell me that I didn't belong in a leadership role, that I didn't belong at the table, that I didn't belong um, teaching, that I didn't belong, you know, all these things. And when I finally actually just looked at the ministry and the life of Jesus and poured myself into the Bible, I realized that, uh, yeah, the church hasn't hurt me. These three people have. And they are saved by the grace of God as well, but they also don't have authoritative power in my life. And so I just hope as people, were drawn to the words and the ministry of Jesus more than we are to the mistakes of the ways that human people have led the church. And I think now is the time, like now is the time for this generation to shape the future. Um, I don't think that we need to wait for permission or for a big industrial door to be opened. And I hope um, this generation just steps into, and I think they will, I actually don't think they need that. They think they need permission, which I think is amazing, you know, and I think it's a double-edged sword, right? Because there is a lot to be learned from generations before us. And so I don't want that to get like thrown out, like baby with the bathwater, but, um, I think just narrowing in on what has made you feel that way. And is it really true of who Jesus is? And if not, I think you can throw it away.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, I have to know uh, what is your best or funniest ministry story that you have.
1: <laughs> um, I actually, so I was like trying to think of one I could actually share that wouldn't be publicly like not okay for or just <laughs> throwing somebody else under the bus. Right.
0: Um,
1: I think a couple things. Like first, I mean, how many of us have the funniest Zoom? stories from ministry. Like I can think of multiple youth nights that we would see students just literally asleep on zoom. Um, but I think some of the funniest are honestly wrapped up in how much teenagers will tell you the truth. And so I could just tell you so many stories about students who have told me my sermons sucked, like use those words. Like, like I had a student one time be like, that was the most boring thing I've ever sat through in my life. And I was like, Okay, great. I've had a student tell me my teeth are too yellow that I need to like get whitener because they just couldn't stop focusing on my yellow teeth. (laughs) Um, And so like, I think I love youth ministry because it's like, they say the things adults probably are all thinking, but say behind your back, they just say (laughs) it to your face. And um, I don't have a real specific story mostly because I don't want to incriminate anyone, but um, yeah, I can just think of, There's endless, endless stories of students hurting my feelings to my face, but then realizing like, oh, that's the most beautiful part of youth ministry is I know exactly what I'm getting. They're going to tell me the truth. And if I'm in this to be affirmed in my identity, I'm in the wrong place. So
0: yeah. Oh man, students are so funny and they they don't care what they say. And that's what makes it it fun.
1: Yeah, it is. It's, I think, a lot more fun because there's a lot less digging beneath the surface to do. So
0: Yep, that's true. That's true. If you had one more thing to tell our listeners, what would it be?
1: Um, hmm. I, I'm not sure like what you would say are the majority of your listeners or what age or, you know, whatever season of life they're in. But I think I would just say to not underestimate the ministry of presence right now. And yes, it's true that God is giving us Things to say, and I think talking and speaking the truth are important. But I think in this current moment, uh, people need people to be present and to listen and to show up. Our world, I think, is starving for that. And no matter where you're at, if you're ministering in your home with your children, if you're ministering to your spouse and their own career, if you're, you know, leading a meeting, if you're leading a small group or if you're leading a whole ministry I think if you show up and actually listen to the people around you you're going to be different and I think the way of Jesus um, is going to be on full display when we show up and share the ministry of presence so
0: yeah that's great and thank you so much for being on the podcast I really enjoyed our conversation today
1: thanks Matt